Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO. The media industry today is barely recognisable from even 10 years ago, let alone the start of the 21st century. The effects of digital disruption have been widespread and they have been brutal. Print publishing is a shadow of its former self. While the transition to online news has been fraught by challenges developing a workable payment model, and more recently in bringing big tech to the bargaining table. Broadcast has been through a tough time too. Been a fairly short time has made real progress in moving away from the old linear models of content delivery to those more reflective of the digital systems that we're all accustomed to using today. The upshot is that media companies still operating do so largely because of their ability to harness new digital technologies to develop deeper understanding of their readers and create better, more targeted products that are more appealing to advertisers. Our first guest is Stephen Haddad, who is the CTO with Southern Cross Austero. He's been there for four years and, and three years previously the CIO at Bauer, obviously one of the world's biggest print media companies. Stephen, welcome to the CIO Show. Hello, David. Now, Stephen, we, we were speaking recently about you know where, where the media sector is at the moment in terms of its digital transformation. And, and you, you pointed out that really we're sort of at – We've been through the the sector has been through three distinct phases. You can talk to me a little bit about that and 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 where where you think we are now, where the industry is now. Sure. For me, I guess I look at it as in uh, as the sector's gone through three phases of digital transformation, and I think phase one is really what I call the denial phase, which is you know some time ago where digital entrants entered the market, and traditional media businesses looked at those entrants and thought. Yeah, they're here, they've got products, they've got an offering, but we're big, we're, these things won't really affect us. And, and, and arguably at the time, they were somewhat right. Those, those new digital entrants were small, they're, the portion of the ad market they took was insignificant, and the products were somewhat immature. Mm. I guess moving from there, they, we went to this kind of second phase of digital disruption where each of those, those those new digital entrants or those digital products started to have much more of an impact on the traditional media businesses. And traditional media businesses started to look at how can we go on a digital transformation journey to digitize our, our existing products. So take, for example, in the magazine business, we went away and what we did is we built iPad versions of magazines. So really not taking any real advantage of what, what the digital asset suite could provide us but really just digitizing our existing product. Yeah, it's so just in, like sho- shove, shoveling all of the co- shoveling everything in the current CMS into some sort of digital product. Digital, correct. And, yeah. and if you look, for example, magazines, they even had them, had them as iPad versions and they actually flipped like magazines and you turn the page by dragging your finger across the screen. Yeah. Uh, in the radio business, for example, we had a product like Radio App, which was there and it still is, and you can go out and listen to all the different radio stations around the country and, and listen to them in a, in a very much in a linear fashion, just like you would on a traditional broadcast radio. Yeah, sure. And I think that, 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 was, that was a great step forward. And, and what those things did, they firstly introduced um, the concept of, I guess, digital and, and what digital means to a business as part of its transformation into those traditional media companies. It gave an opportunity for those businesses to, so I guess get, get a higher level of digital dexterity into their business and start to understand, firstly to build out capability in the digital space, but also start to understand things about digital and what it actually means to a business. And I'm not, I'm not really referring to the technical transformation because a lot of that 
a lot of that was 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 a capability that you could either buy in or, or hire for. I'm talking about the cultural transformation that those businesses needed to go through in that kind of second phase. And a lot of businesses struggled with that. A lot of businesses succeeded in that space. And what you what you would examine across the industry is a whole bunch of mixed results. Some success stories, some some really unsuccessful stories. But 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 arguably over the period of time, a lot of these businesses built I guess, inherent digital capabilities right down from leadership level all the way through the organisation. Then I think we enter the third phase, which is the phase we're currently in, where a lot of the traditional media businesses have become, have started to take their, start take the core of what their business is very good at and build specific digital product. And that digital product is digital product in every single way. So, So what we're talking about is taking real advantage of digital media platforms and actually producing, say, for example, content to fill those because they're really good at producing content. They're really good at connecting audiences with advertisers. So taking those skill sets which are inherent in their traditional business and then delivering a a digital native product that supports those things. Yep. And that's that's taken – I mean, that's taken quite a – as you say, when setting aside the technical kind of challenges, I mean that's that's a pretty serious cultural um, transition within the media sector, isn't it? I mean, you know, twenty years or so ago, as we know, the media sector didn't see any of any of this disruption coming. It's been brutal. Um, their you know their systems were largely proprietary and, and 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 legacy, and so were their attitudes. And so that's that's changed out quite dramatically. It, no doubt. Part of that transition is, is, is probably a couple, a couple of things. One is to develop the internal capability technically, but, but, but the more important part is the cultural transformation that's taken place in those businesses to really uh, understand what, how, digi- how a digital practice works as opposed to how a traditional media practice works. And, really to, and that was really aided by the fact that as, as digital products became more and more successful in the marketplace, Traditional media businesses started to see the impacts to revenue, and as the as they saw those impacts to revenue, that encouraged them to, I guess, be more aggressive in that transformation over a period of time. But, but, but interestingly, no doubt that those journeys occur on multiple fronts: there's technical journeys, there's cultural journeys, and there's also journeys in terms of of you know the technology itself matures to to make you know. You know, clearly those those kind of the digital giants have really helped set a standard by which the consumer of what the consumer expects. Mm. So, so as those things became more prevalent and, and more kind of part of our day to day interactions with our with our phones and our and our smart speakers and things like that, media companies had a real clear target of what they needed to aim for. Yep. And and of course now. You know the, the 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 challenge and the opportunity is 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 applying digital technologies to develop a far more sophisticated understanding of audiences to develop you know more sort of targeted content and how to kind of you know monetize that um, for the purposes of advertisers. So really, I mean, you know, do do you feel and you probably will say yes to this that CIOs are, are more important within the media sector than they've ever been? Yeah, clearly, I think now what we're seeing is the role of the, the CIO or the CTO is really uh, in terms of pulling together 
the, the concept of, of, of you know, it, it takes, for example, in our business, we've got uh, clearly we, we produce uh, we produce compelling content. We clearly have a sales component to our business, which uh, goes out and, and presents uh, the audience segments that we have to prospective uh, customers that would like to reach those audiences. Mm. And we have obviously a digital team that builds digital products. The collection of those is brought together or orchestrated by the role of the CIO. And, and you're seeing, I think, in, in many businesses, technology uh, technology or CIOs being represented at much more senior levels in those businesses mm. and having a much larger voice mm. in terms of the strategy and the direction of the business as businesses become more tech-focused and the, the, the benefits of a, digital, a digitally transformed business become more apparent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, we, as as this as anyone listening would, would attest, I mean, that's that's been the case across all industries. But I wonder whether that transition has been even more sort of dramatic and exponential within within the media sector. I suspect it probably has. When we're talking about, um, it's something I'd, I'd, I'm interested in, in discussing with you in a little bit more depth is this this concept of sentiment analysis within mm-hmm. content with regard to content. Yeah. yeah. So we've uh, we, we've uh, at, uh, at SCA we've recently launched a product called Listener, and, and Listener is really uh, an, an audio companion for all Australians. And and, and you basically download uh, the Listener app onto your phone, and that gives you an opportunity to access uh, both timely and timeless uh, content, uh, things like podcasts, things like live radio, music shows, and a whole bunch of audio content. During the process of sign up, what you do is you go through a and an onboarding process, and that onboarding process gives you an opportunity to customise through the selection of, of, of interest categories and then interest in shows to customise your preferences. And then as you interact with the app, we feed you content through this concept of a daily feed, and that content's refreshed daily to you. In order to understand what, con- what, what content to continually serve uh, the user to ensure that, that content's relevant, and to ensure a high level of engagement by the user, that 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 content has a, has not only a genre or a topic, but it also has a content sentiment. So one of the things that we're introducing into the product is the concept of using AI in the background to basically convert that content into text, and then draw from that content a sentiment, and then find other content that has a similar sentiment and serve that to you as a proposed listening item. Yeah. Now that's that's something that that advertisers your advertisers must be pretty excited about. So so no doubt that that through the listener product, what we're able to do is really know so much more about the listener. You know, not only the demographic information, but also the behavioural information, time of listening, time spent listening, uh, what topics particularly uh, you had a heightened level of engagement with. That allows us to create audience segments, and those segments can obviously be connected to our advertisers in a much more meaningful way, which then gives the advertiser significantly more effectiveness yep. and, and gives us uh, segments that we can present to advertisers in, 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 with, with a whole bunch of knowledge and information about that segment. So give me some, give me some examples of, of how you're kind of segmenting content in, in ways that perhaps you wouldn't have been doing you know, five or so years ago. Um, I, mean, I, so, suppose, I suppose geographical is, is, is one, yeah. So, so one of the big components of the listener product is, is for example, a localization and, and the ability to, 
provide local local news or, for example, the what's on type guide for a local area. Yeah. So we're able to look through a listener and understand that you're in a given location mm. and serve you content into your daily feed based on the location you are. So that, and this really talks to that, when we go back to that kind of concept of the three-phase model, in phase three, where we're taking advantage of the digital platforms to do what we're good at. So we're good at producing compelling content. We're good at producing that content at a local level and really specific content for local markets. We're able to, con- to produce that content at a very high quality in a very timely manner. Yep. It's using the digital platform to present that content to the audience and that's really where, where, where modern day media companies have, have gotten to using all the capability of digital product and really doing what they're really good at and marrying the two together to give the users the best possible experience they can on digital platforms. Yeah, sure. And of course, SCA is, is sort of the, the dominant kind of provider of, um, of podcasting in Australia. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, we, we uh, some time ago we launched Podcast One platform. And that own podcast one has now now become the base product that sits inside the listener platform. So if you go in there, there are high quality Australian premium uh, podcasts in there across a wide range of of different topics and genres. And we we see a high level of engagement from our audiences in these podcasts. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that that, that we sort of seeing that that audio is is particularly suited to this sort of new digital world, isn't it? Yeah, and what we're seeing, what we're seeing is uh, through through digital platforms, the consumption of audio is actually increasing. So, not only are we talking about consuming audio via uh, mobile apps, so so basically through your, your your telephone, but also through the in-car experience through CarPlay and Android Auto, but also the advent of uh, smart speakers returning audio back into the living spaces of the house. Yeah. So, what you can do is obviously consume audio. Uh, in the background uh, or through your, arguably through your television now having audio apps sitting on your TV, being able to consume audio in the, back in the living space, either in the kitchen or in the lounge room of the house. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure the, the, um, you know, the senior management at SCA are, uh, are, you know, are looking at you a little bit differently than perhaps they were looking at you, you know, five or so or four years ago when you started. You're clearly a more – CIOs across the media sector are more – um, are more vital in um, in media than they've ever been. What are, what are you telling the uh, the senior management at the management at the moment as to you know what the what the next sort of couple of years should look like? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a fair comment to say that you know over the in order to have a successful digital product, mm. what we what one thing we do have to do is have our back our back end or our core systems well in order. Mm. So so the previous three or four years have been spent in terms of ensuring that those back-end systems are able to support the digital product in market. But when we look over the next two or three years, we will continue to, to push functionality and then continue to enhance um, the, the listener product and significantly bring to consumers the best possible audio experience we can, not only in terms of personalization, but in terms of enriching the feature set of that product, mm. but also from a business perspective, we continue to invest in ad tech and, and obviously having the most sophisticated ad tech platform we can to give basically effectiveness for our, our advertisers to be able to reach that audience in the most effective possible way. Mm. And we continue to look at, at the vast array of platforms by which people use or engage with audio. So you know, we're not only talking about 
mobile apps, but we're talking about you know further for further further development in voice, for example, and the dominance of voice activation and, and, and the way that people now interact with our product. Yeah. And what we're seeing is, is voice continues to become a, a topic of more interest. You know, uh, we continue to see traffic uh, during the day on, on web, but you know, clearly mobile remains the dominant platform. But, but So I think there's all of those things that are ahead of us in the curve that are coming. It's broadening of the tech stack, broadening of ad tech, broadening of our, uh, our functional sets into the product and broadening of the platforms that we continue to push product out to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because, the, you know, the, the, as everyone knows, I mean, the media sector's, you know, known for having um, amazing kind of proprietary technology and closed systems for many, many years, and particularly when you think about, you know, camera technology and so forth. Now been thrust into this, sort of, you know, digital world where everything's connected and we've we obviously we've, we've seen recently with Nine, you know, some of the kind of, challenges associated with that with their, their unfortunate cyber incident over, over last weekend um yet now you know sort of come from sort of being a you know a digital laggards really i think it's fair to say to now all of this work that you had just been describing in terms of you know content segmentation and audience sentiment analysis these you know these um these concepts are now critically important across all sectors and it it seems to be it's 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 really interesting where the media sector is now, you know, in, in particular as you know being almost an exemplar for for what a lot of other organisations might be you know might be looking at. And there's no doubt that most traditional media businesses have gone through uh, a large amount of internal transformation to, you know, arguably in our case, for example, IP enable our entire broadcast stack. And and, and when I talk about being back end ready. That that's the back end readiness that the last three or four years has uh, has consumed. Mm. In terms of being able to have the the digital product in market, arguably that's that's also taken us some time in terms of refining the product and ensuring that the product we put the market is the best possible product we can. Mm. But arguably we couldn't do that unless our back end systems had been fully modernized to support those platforms. Yeah, indeed. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the CIO Show and we um, hope to have, have you back on again soon. Pleasure to talk to you, David. Thank you. Thanks, mate. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers, connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time, Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Our next guest is Alan Sweeney, who's the CEO of Media Hub. Media Hub is a found in 2009, provides a range of technology services and solutions to Australian broadcasters. It's a 50-50 partnership between ABC and Win Corporation. Alan, welcome to the CIO show. Thank you, David. I'm very pleased to be here. Now, when the uh, when Australia moved, you know, progressively started moving from from analog to digital, sort of around when you know when when that started when analog started to be turned off around two thousand and and twelve. I mean, really, that sort of highlighted that just how much um, the Australian media industry had invested in in analog technology. A lot of it cutting edge, but nevertheless analog. But also, it was the beginning of an extremely steep uphill climb. Um, towards digitisation, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. Um, few industries are faced with uh, a forklift 
uh, change, hopefully uplift mm. uh, of their technology mm. um, from one platform to another. And it had to happen in a relatively short period of time. And there were all the challenges of the new technology, um, uh, which was at at that time also still being developed. So we're in a process of change at the same time that the platforms themselves, the software, um, and whether you were using um, COTS type uh, platforms, uh, you know, in other words, just off-the-shelf um, type uh, servers or whether you were using vendor-supplied specific appliances, that was still going through a change. Yeah. So it was a, a, a real period of disruption and challenge. Now, there must have been an enormous amount of wailing and gnashing of teeth um, amongst amongst broadcasters, particularly, you know, those that were sort of in charge of, of you know, of implementing the new technology and, and buying it. Um, it really, in, in hindsight, this seems to be an example where government policy turned out to be right. Uh, yes. Um, I think um, Because big, no tech, one, big tech was just just about to come around the corner. That's correct. No one had anticipated the growth in big tech yeah. and the new product services, uh, the way products would be offered, the way news could be delivered. Um, I think people had a... Uh, you know, a hint of what might have been able, what what might have been coming, yeah. but I don't think anyone really understood fully what was going to happen. Had we not moved under government policy across into a digital platform, then um, we wouldn't. The, the broadcast industry itself would have struggled to keep up with the demand from the viewers because the the, the viewers' habits of consuming media was changing at the same time mm. and um, we simply wouldn't have been there. And so how do you, how do you think the, the, the sector's travelling now in terms of this, its digital transformation? Oh, I think it's accelerated really well and uh, the industry is now um, really uh, has caught up and in many cases has advanced uh, in the delivery to the viewers through myriad of platforms I mean, there's not a broadcaster in Australia now that doesn't have mm. streaming platforms. Yeah. You know, ABC's got iView. Mm. Um, so um, or Seven's got Seven Plus. Um, all of them have their own uh, streaming platforms because that's the only way to meet the change in viewer demand mm. for what they do. And, you know, it's moved from um, the historical viewing platform or, or habits of going home and turning your TV on in the lounge room and sitting down and watching the news and then watching a sitcom and then watching a movie. Mm. Um, viewers now, the younger generation in particular, they snack. So they'll watch 15 minutes or 10 minutes of something on their iPhone or, or their um, uh, Android uh, device and um, they'll just stop and then they'll come back to it later and, and they'll have ultimately consume the whole piece of that content, but they'll do it over time. So uh, very different approaches. Uh, and that is that um, segment is growing at, a, at an inc- ever increasing rate. Yeah, when the the sector was was you know fairly slow to kind of you know move to IP. Now you think that they've kind of caught up and maybe even 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 leading. But I mean, this whole notion of uh, of everything being interconnected is still kind of. Do you think it's still a little bit foreign to you know perhaps the most sort of experienced 
people within in the media industry because it used to be quite the opposite of that, didn't it? Yeah, correct. Look, it's a very difficult one to answer, but uh, a good way to, I think, to um, sort of get your head around it is that um, something uh, in terms of percentages, you, you might have had 80 plus percent of your engineering team in the broadcast world um, that would have been specific broadcast technology engineers. Yeah. And less than 20% would have been IT-specific um, skilled people. Now you have the reverse. It's probably 80% IT and 20% broadcast-specific. That is really and, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and the platforms themselves have changed and are still developing. Yeah. And with the introduction of you know IP, um, everything internet, the, the new challenge for those teams of people is as much about how to effectively deliver the technology which takes it from the camera to the viewer's eyes yeah. as it is about how do you protect your, um, your content, your um, IP, so that uh, you're not being hacked like we've been seeing happening. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a major challenge. You've got the technology challenge itself, the technology journey, and you've got this um, cyber security issue that sits with it. These issues didn't exist in the old world to that to that degree. Yeah. And also, um, you know, it's probably fair to say that a lot of the major technology vendors that were supplying and supporting major media companies over the years were sort of similarly locked in a fairly kind of, you know, analog legacy mindset, which has now had to change. And of course, we've got new players coming through too. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Because historically, um, and, and it's the way the industry was, and it was, it was very good for what it delivered at that time. It was, it was about an appliance. And on that appliance was the vendor specific software. If you wanted that product, you bought the appliance and the software was loaded on that and you plugged it in mm. and you ran one cable from that appliance to another appliance. Yep. Then then suddenly you needed a situation where you could simply run a whole server farm and you load your software and it's all IP or IT that's taking it through from one end to the other. So everything's digital. Yep. And while the broadcasters had to face that challenge, so did the vendors because the vendors were... Um, had had built their business model around the appliance-based platform, not uh, um, a, a pure digital-type platform running on, on a gener- generic server farm. Yep. So everything had to change. And I think the industry initially, both vendors and broadcasters, were a little slow on the uptake. But it's gratifying to see that the acceleration has been um, quite enormous. Yeah. And... Um, and the successes uh, and the products that are rolling out now from broadcasters is is due to the diligence and the focus on that. And the, by the vendors as well, they have changed. But on the way through, they've been forced to because other disruptors who are pure IP, IT-based, yeah. they have been coming in and forcing major change in the marketplace. Yeah. And we've certainly seen that across the media sector. It's back to the, what you said earlier, which I think was fascinating about the fact that you think now about 70% of your technical team are IT guys, people with titles like, you know, CTO, CDO, whatever. Um, you know, as you had nowhere near that proportion, you know, even even 10 years ago. I mean, are you 
um, are you actually involved in that sort of recruitment process for for, for, for Media Hub? I mean, what sort of um, you know what's what what does the ideal kind of technology you know technician CDO look like for for Media Hub? Do you tend to recruit from the media industry, or are you sort of you know deliberately looking at at at, at CIOs or, or technical people with with other sorts of skills from other sectors? I'm just curious as to what that yeah. technical team looks like and what you think about in terms of growing it. Yeah, so back in 2010, we had a team of engineers, a substantial team of engineers, of which almost 90% were the broadcast technology engineers, highly experienced, highly skilled. And we had a very small percentage, which was IT. Mm. Those IT people were considered to be more corporate IT rather than they were seen to be broadcast IT, although there were elements that they contributed to that. In seeing this change uh, and the change in the platforms and the um, move away from the old um, analog uh, to digital platforms, we sat down and we looked at what we needed to do and we, we very definitively changed the structure of our teams so that we now run the reverse. We've got over 80% of our staff who are um, IT professionals. Mm. We've only got a small percentage now which are the historical broadcast professionals. And a number of those people have actually gone and undertaken specific training to move them across. And the outcome is that we now have different teams within our organisation to deliver the needs. So we have teams who are uh, specifically IT, and I, I use the terms, I use both terms, IT and IP, mm. and they, they are there with their skills to run the digital platform. At the same time, because of digital and because of everything internet and security issues, I've got a team, we've got a team to focus on cyber security, and then we've got a team that uh, focus on the legacy equipment and the legacy platforms around broadcast. Ah, so we right. have to train and move ourselves to be able to cope with all of the different pressures. So we went from a, you might call it a generic broadcast technology engineering team to a multifaceted, everything internet style team that can handle all the issues that come out of a digital world. And some of those, and some of those guys are kind of, I'm coining, maybe I'm coining a new phrase, digital forklift or analog forklift guys. Yes. Still on correct. the forklifts. That's still correct. Yeah. Still correct. Oh, it's fascinating. Well, Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Really, really interesting, valuable insights there and um, and look forward to, to hearing what Media Hub gets up to the rest of this year and in coming years and um, look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thank you. And it's a real pleasure to be involved in an industry that's facing such change. The challenge is uh, very, very uh, substantial, but it's equally very gratifying. Indeed. So, David, thank you for having me on. Thanks very much, Alan. Joining us now is Jonathan Rusterick, who is the ANZ Managing Director of Communications, Media and Technology with Accenture. Jonathan, welcome to the CIO Show. Thank you very much, David. Mate, what do you see as the role of the CIO in the media sector today? Um, uh, it, it sounds pretty simple and it's pretty similar to what we talk about to CIOs in multiple industries, which is, really taking advantage of digitization. Um, but I think the, the, the difference in the focus in the media industry 
is it's not digitization just to, to get off analog like what's happened. It's not digitization just for cost reduction. It's actually about ensuring end-to-end digitization to enable the personalization uh, capabilities to compete with the, the global software uh, titans who have that personalization, personalization of content, personalization of advertising, personalization of the channel in which they uh, reach out to their audience. Um, and so without that digitization push, media organizations will continue to struggle to hold back the tide of the, uh, the global software companies. Do you think that some of the, I mean, what, what, I, what I'm finding really fascinating about the media sector, and this has been borne out by conversations that I've had with several guests, including yourself today, um, is that um, whilst the media sector was fairly slow to, to digitise, it was given a ginormous kick in the backside, of course, by big tech. Um, it was heavily invested, heavily entrenched in sort of proprietary analogue systems for decades and decades. Um, it seems to it seems to have kind of come out swinging and right and out of the gates, pretty strong. And if you think about the, you know, the the, the ultimate goal of um, of the media industry at the moment, which is which is you know primarily to stem the 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 outward flow of, of revenue, it's about understanding their audiences in ways that they've never done before. And I, I wonder whether you think that the media sector is is, is doing that um, so well now that other industries and CIOs and other sectors would potentially look to them for, um, you know, for, for case studies and, and advice as to how to get better at understanding audiences, what they're talking about, you know, delivering targeted content. And, of course, that whole advertising sort of um, conundrum in, in, in media is fascinating no matter what industry you're in. Yeah. I think um, in some respects they are actually ahead of of other industries. Um, in some, there's still also some um, significant opportunities. Um, we, we've seen uh, across many industries the concept of um, targeting content, advertising, uh, propositions, discounts, etc., has been about consolidating audience or customer groups into into supersets that allow you to to, to um, put valuable propositions to them. Over time, we're continuing to see that by uh, having those supersets or the super categories is positive. It's a step forward from treating everyone homogeneously. But unless they can get to where the software platforms are, which is to keep metadata and to acknowledge that every single user is an individual with individual interests, needs, patterns, and actually take it from moving from homogenous to categories to ultra-personalization, um, there's still some work to do. Yeah, sure. And one, of the, one of the themes that we've sort of touched on with previous guests is with this interconnectivity um, that is kind of a given and native to the to the big tech companies. Um, this is still somewhat new territory for the media industry, as as we've seen, perhaps you know, demonstrated in in somewhat sort of sober 
terms over the weekend with the Channel 9 security breach? We, we, we have. So, and it's not just Channel 9, we've also seen the last 12 months, we've seen the government provide various uh, warnings. The, uh, we're moving into the world where cyber security and cyber attacks have potentially greater uh, um, economic and brand risk to organisations uh, than physical consequences. Um, and I think that the, the recent nine impact was a was a really good example and uh, reminder to the media industry that the great thing about digitising is that you've got flexibility, you've got the ability to get down to that hyper personalisation, you've got cost reductions as a result, yeah. but you've also got the you know the vast majority of your infrastructure um, can be attacked, can be targeted, and so. I guess our, our key message to CIOs is get your digitisation um, priorities absolutely top of mind, but make sure that security and securing that digital infrastructure uh, is your, your first and most important uh, activity. Yeah. On, on, on this sort of uh, topic of you know, segmentation, personalisation, you know, one, one of the things that we're seeing in the media is um, – you know, more focus on local programming, content that's really targeted at specific, you know, communities, specific geographies and so forth. Uh, and and co- coinciding with that um, is this sort of lower uh, barriers to entry for smaller media players to acquire quite sophisticated, quite sophisticated technologies that previously would have been the exclusive domain of the, only the really, really biggest um, media companies. Yeah, is that, absolutely. Is, yeah, is that something you're seeing? And and I wonder whether that that's sort of, you know, uh, exciting opportunities for smaller media players, regional media companies, and and the CIOs working within them. Yeah, a smaller regional and yeah. even smaller urbane. Um, mm-hmm. We get down to people live in communities, uh, you know, rural and regional communities, but also in the cities. You know, suburbs have their own their own culture, their own mood, their own rhythms. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it still it still becomes a scenario here where we as audience have an affinity with content providers and those that actually speak to us and speak to our minds and to our hearts. Um, it absolutely provides that opportunity to them, and it still it still becomes an area where local and especially some of these smaller and targeted media organisations. Um, do have a differentiation. Maybe it's only a window of time against the global software companies who are continuing to gather more information and continuing to refine their algorithms. But absolutely today, if you are uh, providing really relevant content for a particular community uh, local to you, uh, that is still resonating and providing absolute differentiation in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean it's it's hugely exciting, I mean, especially for pe- people like me who have you know, have been a journalist on and off for many many years. Do you think that you know that that there is the potential for the sorts of digital technologies that that are available now and increasingly available to smaller uh, media companies that previously wouldn't have been able to afford them? Um, the the potential for these digital technologies to to have perhaps spark you know a, a significant revival of of the media sector in Australia. Because if they are able to 
you know, if you take again that example of a of a regional uh, broadcaster, it is able to develop you know far more specific um, content that appeals to, to to you know within their own communities. That's going to translate into into advantages on the advertising slash revenue side too. One would think. Absolutely, and I think the other thing that we've seen, we actually saw an interesting report recently. I'm sort of going into a, a slight. Uh, sideways one, but but even the NBN itself uh, rolling out and providing a level playing field of, of digital connectivity for Australians across the country uh, is helping. And one of the things that the NBN's done that I think is has not been as well understood or, or um, <laughs> marketed, advertised, is the up speed, the upstream speed that NBN has provided. So. Uh, if you are actually creating content and distributing it, there is much more bandwidth. If you are in a regional area um, just connected to the MBN, it's a lot easier for you to, to get access, as you said, to the tools to edit and to distribute that back up into, uh, into the networks and get your information out there than under the traditional um, connection technologies. Yeah, and, and, and especially in a country like Australia where there's there's so there's so many you know tiny little communities dotted over just this extraordinarily vast landscape. It's um yeah it's it's really encouraging to think that you know there might be better um you know better quality media, more relevant media for those communities, and and also people living within the enclaves within within the metropolitan areas as well. Melbourne's Melbourne's very much like that, isn't it? I mean, there's it's go from suburb to suburb in Melbourne. And it's almost like going from state to state. It's quite unique in that way. Well, Jonathan, yeah, like, the, the, yes. the whole village atmosphere exists, right? And so, and and media is at, the, at, at its heart about telling telling stories, telling you know, providing narratives. Mm. And you know, the people who are closest to the coalface, the ones who can tell those in a in a compelling way. Now, as you say, there's not the barriers to entry. You can quickly and easily record. You can quickly and easily edit. Uh, and you can distribute without too many constraints um, and start with a relatively low capital expenditure um, to create some you know, really powerful um, content. And people are starting. You, know, you can even look at the YouTube channels and some of these things. People are starting to make some decent businesses uh, with a very small um, startup mindset. Indeed. Well, exciting times ahead. Look forward to, to seeing how it all pans out and don't – Jonathan, it was great, great having you on the on the CIO for the first CIO show for the first time, and we'll know to have you back on again soon. Thank you very much, and have a, a, a wonderful Easter. Oh, you too. Thank you. Joining us now is John Locke, who's a enterprise architect with thirty plus years working in the Australian media industry, including over ten years at ABC, more than ten years at SBS, five years at Channel Seven, extensive career. John, welcome to the CIO show. Great to be here, David. Now, mate, you've you've you're someone who's really seen it all and bought all the t-shirts in terms of technology and digital disruption in the in the Australian media industry, and um and and really have been at sort of the vanguard of this. You know, ultimately, this transition is all about you know traditional media companies, traditional broadcasters moving away from a linear approach, linear thinking with regard to content. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the way the internet has 
uh, moved into the space. It's uh, encouraged people to view things as they want to or on-demand viewing, and it's taken away from the idea of getting the TV guide and watching it when the TV stations want you to watch. Yeah. And, you know, really this is the, the, the challenge has been the the loss of, of audience and in particular the loss of of, of advertising revenue, do you think that do you think that um, that that's kind of now being um, reversed somewhat? That you know people like yourselves, you know, other technology leaders that are that are now got a greater voice within you know leading media companies are helping to you know better harness digital tools to to sort of bring back audiences and particularly bring back that advertising revenue. Uh, it, it's beginning to happen, but mm. I, I see the 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 media companies or the television companies are chasing the audience into the internet space more with, with their various websites and uh, and the ability to watch catch-up television on their website. Yeah, sure. And so what are, what are your thoughts about, you know, data science and, and, and things like artificial intelligence in terms of, you know, gaining better, you know, greater intelligence into, into audiences and, and feeding that into to content? Yeah, there's a, a few interesting areas for artificial intelligence. One is the ad placement that's certainly being used for, for that and certainly in the online offerings uh, it's being used to work out where to place ads in programs. Um, but uh, artificial intelligence has some fascinating uses and it, it's being used now to cover sporting matches with uh, the algorithms uh, driving where to point the cameras and when to cut the feed and even to insert replays. Really? Um, so what, what are some examples of, of, of that and where, what, what sports are we talking about? Uh, well, I, I've seen it for tennis, but um, right. I expect it, uh, it's going to happen to a lot, lots of things. So uh, with a, a simple data feed to, you know, that's a goal or, or whatever, like just, just something that triggers uh, that that was significant, that seems to be enough for the AIs to uh, go off and do replays. But uh, yeah, they'll certainly get better at um, working out what needs replaying and what doesn't. But yeah, it, it's a fascinating aspect, and I, I think that means that more sports are going to be covered because they can be covered cheaper. Yeah, Look, some something we were talking about recently, which I think really sort of speaks to this sort of cultural challenge within within the, the broader media sector, is the fact that that we a lot of us actually have some quite extraordinary capabilities on the average TV set that might have been bought in the last sort of couple of years or so ago. Um, tell, tell me a bit more about, about some of those, those capabilities and, and in your view, why the average viewer doesn't seem to know anything about them? <laughs> yeah, so I think there you're talking about the HBB TV, Hybrid Broadband Broadcast. That's right. Which is mouthful, international. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is hard to say far. Mm. Um, uh, it, it's um, a global standard and uh, we adopted it and branded it Freeview Plus and most new TVs will have this uh, on a press the green button sort of basis. So if you plug your internet into the TV or tune it into your uh, Wi-Fi modem, um, then you can access this service and it gives you a complete catch-up of uh, all the channels available in Sydney, in, mm. in all capital cities, mm. and in most country areas, ABC and SBS across the country, and, and um, the other channels depending on the local situation. Mm. Uh, and, and that lets you do a complete catch up service 
um, and also watch extra content. For example, the SBS World movies are up there. Mm. And there's, I, I understand that there's there's advertising content that is interactive. Uh, yeah, internationally, certainly. So uh, with the pizza ads, you can order a pizza straight off the pizza ad, for example, or book a test drive yeah, um, yeah. If, if you like the look of the car. Uh, so, yeah, you can interact. And you can interact with the programs in some examples. Uh, so uh, you can say which contestant you think should go on to the next round. Uh, so in real time, people are voting what should happen next. On, on on your TV. Well, the reason I bring it up is, that, and this is what we were discussing, is that there seems to be this kind of disconnect between, you know, some of the some of the kind of cutting edge capabilities that are sort of being brought to the fore by by tech leaders like yourselves, by by engineers in the media space, and and the actual public awareness of these technologies. I mean, do you think that that sort of does illustrate? Um, a bit of a, a, a cultural problem within the media industry with regard to actually understanding the technologies that not only understanding the technologies that they need to develop and get out to the market in order for their you know to in order for their very survival, but even understanding the technologies and capabilities that they have already invested in and developed and getting that out. Yeah, well, I, I do think that actually yeah. uh, this. HBB TV or Freeview Plus is growing uh, as people um, buy TV sets. It's by default getting installed, and yet it's it's not publicised, and none of these technology features are being used. So it could be used to uh, localise, like target individuals for commercials, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, you can uh, customise what you're viewing. So in sporting events, you can customise extra camera feeds onto your screen or different uh, um, graphical elements like scores or statistics. So it, it's got a lot of capability that isn't being explored at all in this country. Yeah. What is... And I don't, re- Sorry, go on. don't really know why. I, I think... Um, I, I guess the industry is being caught with the, the money going out of it, so there's not much appetite to do these sorts of experiments. That's all I can put it down to. When really this is exactly what the media industry needs to be sort of super laser focused on. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. It, it can give you the best use of your broadcast bandwidth, which is uh, quite a cost, costly asset for the um, for the broadcasters and uh, yeah, it, it really should be used to to best advantage. Virtual reality and augmented reality is an interesting aspect that we're going to see uh, more and more. We've got the ability, uh, the processing power to insert real augmentation into live data streams. So if you consider the fridge in in a drama like in Home and Away, right. you might have um, might have some fridge magnets on that. Uh, but in fact, the the show would be shot with a blank fridge, and the fridge magnets would be put on in real time. Right. So so your uh, advertising potential uh, can be rendered on every consumer's device potentially, and and you see with the um, augmented reality abilities built into phones these days, it, it, it's very likely to to see that happening in, um, in on your iPhone. 
That's uh, and that that can be extended. Like you know, the, the pizza that gets delivered will be branded to whatever person wants to have their brand on the pizza box. How how far off is is that kind of application? Uh, look, it, it's been done uh, to to some extent on a, a per country basis where advertising gets put into programs specific to a country. Yeah. But the, the, you, you read the capabilities of the latest iPhones or Androids and they've, they've got the right technology in to do that. So it, it's a, a matter of the program makers and advertising industry catching up with processing power that's already there, I think. And that, that is amazing. So, yeah, so that, that, that is certainly a great example of... Um of, of where we might see, you know, traditional broadcast companies and intersecting with the, you know, most advanced digital technologies in the future. It is going to be an interesting future indeed. John, thank you so much for joining us on the CIO Show and we um, look forward to having you back on again soon. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, David. Glad to have been here. Cheers, mate. Thanks for joining us. Edge computing as a concept has been around for a long time, but now it would seem it's entering the mainstream as an important, viable technology to improve everything from latency, data collection, and importantly, of course, organizations' ability to exploit the capabilities of hyperscale cloud-based technologies, as well as things like the Internet of Things. In fact, it's expected that the Edge will spawn completely new thinking, special applications around business communications over the next few years. In the next episode, I'll be talking to CIOs and analysts about what edge computing really means today, how it's being applied and by whom, and what we might expect to see on the horizon for this year and beyond. We hope you can join us.